0: hello and welcome to ep 17 of off the block swimming podcast thank you all for joining us today wherever you are listening i'm your host robbie cox well today we jump into a time machine and head all the way back to 2018 when i sat down with australian swimming legend now coach mr ash callis Went to Asher's Pool on the Gold Coast at Somerset College and had a great chat with him about his early days in the pool, his amazing swimming career, which includes his part in the greatest race of all time, the men's 4x100m freestyle relay from the Sydney 2000 Olympics, as well as his 50m freestyle Australian record, 21-1-9. And we also get into his coaching his thoughts about some relevant topics at the time as well. Now, apologies for not getting this great interview out to you guys sooner. It did have some technical issues that we needed to sort out, but our amazing audio technician and the reason behind the great music at the beginning and at the end of the podcast, George, that's DJ Vareso. for everyone out there who wants to look him up on Spotify. He managed to get it all fixed so we can finally get it out to you guys to hear. So, now, wind your calendars all the way back to 2018. Tilt your head slightly to the left for better audio quality because App 17 with Ash Callis starts now. Take your Away they go.
1: No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Boardman.
0: The signature of all eyes is the great Benon Manapine. Susie O'Neill Earth is coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Cherish in the white hats, Norton in the black hats, and the rest is silence. Well I cannot believe this. No match. Portman caught. Portman Hall. Portman goes in. Australia win. Joining us today on the show is a three-time Olympian. He's a four-time World Championship gold medalist in both long course and short course. With one of those golds being an individual medal from the 2002 moscow short course champs when he won the 100 freestyle he competed at four commonwealth games finishing his career with two gold and two silver medals and he is still currently the australian record holder for the men's 50 meter freestyle with 21 not too shabby he is famously a part of in my opinion one of australia's greatest races of all time the 2000 sydney olympics when alongside his teammates, Michael Kim, uh, Michael Klim, sorry, Chris Feidler and Ian Thorpe, they beat the previously undefeated USA team to win gold in the 4x100m freestyle relay. And if you don't know how big a fan I am of that particular race, you only have to listen to the intro of our podcast because the commentary for it is all over it. It is a massive welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast to Mr. Ashley Cullis. How are you, mate?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for, uh, thank you for inviting me.
0: Not a problem at all. Now, for all the listeners out there, uh, this is not a phoned one. We are doing this in person. I am down here at the Somerset College Pool on the Gold Coast. It's a fresh, sunny day down here in the Goldie. So where else would we rather be, eh?
1: Yeah, it's not a bad part of the world. It's uh, it's a little bit breezy outside, but um, yeah, I can't complain where I work and live. Nah, not at all, mate. Oh, yeah.
0: This is the first time I've been here. Great facility. Beautiful.
1: Yeah, we're a ten lane, a fifty meter pool, so yeah, it's not a bad place to work.
0: Definitely. Now, uh, a lot of stuff to get through over your massive career, and uh, we'll get to that a little bit later, especially about your coaching here as well. But like all the lot of young swimmers out there listening today, your journey at the top, to the top, sorry, started somewhere. What are your earliest memories of uh, learning to swim as a youngster?
1: Look, uh, I'm getting a little on in age now, and uh, the memory's a little bit dusty, <laughs> but. Uh, I do remember making my first ever, um, state final, um, yeah. at, uh, Queensland state titles. And I was 13 and I qualified 10th for the hundred meters freestyle. And I believe it posted a time of 103 seconds. Um, oh, so you still remember that. That's a good one. Yeah, at 13 years of age at 103 seconds, yeah, yeah. 103 seconds. Now 103 doesn't get you anywhere this day and age, but, uh, <laughs> and I was in the first race where a 13 year old broke the minute, yeah. uh, by the, a guy by the name of Darren Gooder. But, um, that's probably my earliest memory of um, competing at a level, uh, and then um, over the following years it was a little up and down when we all go through different stages of life, and yeah. I was a little bit later. And um, yeah, so it just was something that came a little bit easier to me. I mean, I was I was playing basketball as well, and I could run on the track pretty quick as well, so always explosive and powerful type of movements or sports that require those type of movements. So um, yeah, I was pretty fortunate that swimming was uh, a sport that came easy to me and I was able to make that level, I wouldn't say comfortably, but pretty regularly.
0: Yeah, what did you enjoy about swimming most when you were younger though? Was it being around your <clears> mates at the pool or was it the
1: competition? Look, I think it's like most at that age, you, you're swimming with your school friends um, yeah. or friends outside that went to different schools and you got to see them. Um, obviously changed a little bit later as you, you know um, start to mature and then you got to swim with girls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so that was obviously a bit of a carrot as you get a bit older, but yeah. uh, generally swimming up and down with friends.
0: Mate, uh, you're known for being super fast at freestyle, but growing up, did you excel at any other strokes?
1: Look, uh, look. Butterfly came on later. Breaststroke was absolutely woeful, so I didn't even throw my hand yeah. at that. But uh, it was always you know, a bit of a speedy type character, so it was always the freestyle. I mean, that's our, I guess, a core stroke that we use with our swimming here in Australia. anyway. Butterfly a little bit later, like I said, backstroke and uh, breaststroke, no chance.
0: Always the 50 and the 100s? Or would you shock us by saying you, you used to be pretty good at 400 as well?
1: No, I... Um, I mean, I did a little bit of surf swimming as well down here at Currumbin. Yeah. And I I competed in that. I knew I had to do a little bit more than 50 and 100 work, but uh, I could never sustain it. Um, And my coach, Dave Urquhart, at the time in the early 2000s, tried to get me to do a little bit more 200 work, but it just didn't work. So I lost a bet and he made me do a 200 freestyle at state titles (laughs) one year where I think I turned in like 119 at the uh, 150 mark, which is still very competitive. Yeah, yeah. And I finished in a 154, so you can do the maths on that, but uh, (laughs) uh, I never made a bet again and never went to the 200 again.
0: (laughs) Now, mate, one thing I like to do with all my guests is just take them back to when they were younger um, and when they were training and if they had any bad habits. So many of our squad swimmers today have a few of these as well. So I'm just going to say a few of these now. And honestly, you just let me know when you were younger, if you did any of these. So the first one is feet on the bottom during laps.
1: No, well, our, the pool that I trained in was too deep in the middle, yep. um, and uh, Dave Urquhart, who was my coach for a majority of my sort of teenage years to competitive years, was all over it, so no. Yeah, so no.
0: What about going to the toilet mid-set for a rest?
1: No, I wouldn't do that. I'd do that post-set, yep. and I'd sit up there so I'd miss some of the swim <laughs> <laughs> Um
0: What about pulling on the lane rope in backstroke?
1: Well, at Cleveland, we had the old um, rope, lane ropes. Oh, yeah, with the corks? Uh, for, yeah, with the, the other, old corks. Yep. So unlike the lane ropes today where these plastic things you can get your fingers in and pull through, yep. the rope you actually had to clench a fist and pull yourself yep. along. And so I did a little bit, not a lot, no. Rope burn. Yeah, rope burn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs>
0: Mate, being uh, last to get in the pool.
1: Yeah, that was, that was probably quite common later on in my career. Yeah. But on uh, the early days, um, I was probably mid yeah mid mid part of the group to get in.
0: Now before we got all the fancy heart rate equipment and you just got to use your fingers and your pulse, what about lying about your heart rate?
1: Oh, all the time. <laughs> and there was always oh, there was always this little trick I used to use um, at the end or say every five um, Dave or the coach at the time wanted to get it out us to get our heart rate, I'd hold my breath and wouldn't breathe the last seven or eight minutes in the just to elevate <laughs> just to get it, it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I sort of yeah, I manipulated situations.
0: Mate, so often uh, athletes around their teenage years contemplate giving up swimming because uh, whether they've got other sports, studies, or they're chasing girls and partying, which you touched on just before. Was this uh, ever something you went through?
1: Pardon me. Um, Not all the time, no. Um, As I mentioned before, I was a pretty handy runner on the track. I was making rep basketball teams as well. But uh, like I said, it was a sport that came a little bit easier. Uh, And it wasn't until... Uh, I turned 16 off the back of having glandular fever and having six months out of the water that I was training um, more consistently and went to a race at the BSA, what we call the Brisbane Swimming Association, I'm not sure if it still exists or not, yep. um, where I knocked off um, a lot of the favourites in my age group, which was, uh, to mention a few, Nathan Ricard and Jeff Eagle. Um and I knocked them off and sort of shocked us, and my, my coach then, who was Dave Urquhart and myself, we sort of looked at each other and went, where did that come from? <laughs> And then I decided to drop the basketball, drop the running, and then really had a crack at the, uh, at the swimming side of things, and obviously I grew a little bit yep. um, and started to fill out and became a lot more competitive and went to the age Nationals in 97 and 1, and that's when I went, all right, I'm going to have a go at this.
0: May, a lot of swimmers out there now are just on the cusp of making a junior or senior team at the moment. Talk to me about a few things you had to change or get right to make that transition from a good age group swimmer to the elite teams.
1: Yeah, I had to adjust my approach to my training. Um, I was always, or later on in my teenage years, competitive in my age group. But back then it was 17 and then you straight to open. There's no 17, 18 as there is now uh, or these transition um, sort of meets that they're talking about. But I had to change my approach and my mental game. Everything that I did had to be the best that I could do it, whether it was from simply doing tumble turns or starts or technique work or kick or whatever it might be, whatever the coach at the time had planned for the session, I had to give it 110%, not necessarily always effort, but concentration to execute everything I possibly could the best I could. Um, If I didn't have that approach for the session, then I'd be wasting my time. And then I always thought to um, thinking about my opposition, what are they doing? If I let myself down this session... Um, what are they doing and am I better than them and making sure that um, I could do everything that I possibly could each and every session to the best of my ability and I knew when I was standing on the blocks I didn't have, I wasn't the most talented person on the blocks but I was probably one of the most hungriest and one of the most aggressive so I would use in my competitive side of things to to take on the best.
0: Mate you came on the scene in Australian swimming in a golden period um, and we'll get to the two thousand Sydney Olympics a little bit later. But you uh, made your debut on the team in nineteen ninety eight at the Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur. What was that experience like for your first team?
1: It was it was amazing because <clears throat> um, I didn't me. I didn't uh, I didn't expect to make the ninety eight Com Games team because I only just finished school. Yeah. Um, the year before, and it was a pretty quick rise. To be honest, um, I would swum terribly in my hundred freestyle. Um, and that's that transition I was talking about from when you win age nationals and then the following year can't even make the final. Yeah. And so that was a rude awakening. And I only just snuck in, just snuck in for the men's 50 meters freestyle out in lane eight. And again, um, didn't expect to do anything else that night. And then lo and behold, I finished third in the 53. And I was very fortunate that Don Turbot head coach at the time, selected me uh, to go to the 98 comp games and didn't understand it all until I landed in KL Kuala Lumpur when you... Um, You're walking around with the rest of the team, the other athletes, other athletes from other teams and other sports, and you're sort of seeing what the village lifestyle was all about. And yeah, it was an amazing experience and something that um, I wanted to taste off even more. And so obviously 18 months later, we had the 2000 trials and it's something that I used the Commonwealth Games um, in 98 as a launching pad. Having said that, um, I failed to make 99 Packs because I came home with a gold medal from the relay in 98 and finally, in the fifty freestyle com games, racing some of the biggest guys, I used to look up with, uh, look up to, and I thought that I, you know, my, you know, what didn't smell, yep. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah. No, ninety eight was absolutely awesome, and I loved it, and I wanted to taste more.
0: Did you learn anything about yourself on that trip that you didn't already
1: know? I believe I matured as an athlete. Um, I had I'd only travelled overseas once before that ever, and that's when Don Talbot picked me to go on the Mayor Nostrum series, and I'd raced absolutely horrible, never travelled outside of Australia ever before, and you got to go on these long-haul flights to Europe, and I don't think I cracked 24 seconds for 50 freestyle. Yeah. I mean, that's how bad I was going. <laughs> um, and so uh, I learned a lot, and it helped me mature, and I actually just learned a lot about self-management because although you're in a team environment and you've got each other's back at the same time, you know, they're trying to beat you as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was a great experience.
0: And you must have still been happy to come away with the gold in the four x one hundred freestyle relay on your first team, though.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was swimming with Thorpe, Clymie, and Chris Feidler, um, and you know, I know Thorpe and uh, also Hackey was on that team, and they had massive world championships earlier that year in Perth in '98. So I'd watch them on TV, and you know, I wanted to be a par- wanted to be a part of it. And lo and behold, I was there, and I was yep. swimming with those guys. And never did I ever think I took on swimming to travel and and win medals. And I was fortunate enough, or swum well enough, actually, to um, to experience that with those guys.
0: Now, uh, as you heard in the opener, so many accomplishments over your career, and I don't think you want to be sitting here with me all day, going through them one yeah. by one. So I'll just... Oh, no, we out. could. Yeah, we could. <laughs> <laughs> uh, feed just, me, feed me. Yeah, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> I'll just um, <sighs> throw out an event in a year, and I just want you to tell me um, something that sticks out most to you about that meet. So we'll start with 2001 World Champs in Fukuoka. Uh,
1: massive. I made the 100 freestyle final there um, as an individual swimmer and it was just, I don't think I've ever been more nervous. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that's what I really remember from from that uh, that meet.
0: What about uh, with Pampax not too far away, the 2002 Pampax in uh,
1: Yokohama? Look, I can't remember a lot of the Pampax. All I remember is... Um, 100 freestyle, and uh, I came second in the 100 freestyle, um, and Thorpe just chow me down the last 15 metres. <laughs> <It's laughs> as good, he did. it's a good memory. Yeah, as he did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, 2002 Commonwealth Games in
1: Manchester. Yeah, that was a tough meet. It was two weeks in Manchester, pouring down rain. The village was obviously open, and just getting around, getting soaked all the time. Um, swung pretty well there, uh, from memory. The 4x1, we did well. Made a couple of finals... It I came second in the hundred again to Thorpey. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, fantastic experience,
0: mate. One that uh, should stick out to you: the world champs short course in Moscow.
1: Yeah, I think that defined me as an individual athlete and uh, put my name on the on the list, so to speak, or it put me on the radar. Um, yeah, it's one of those swims that you don't know where it came from. Yeah, um, it'd been a massively long trip. It was really bad environment to be able to swim fast. Um, from terrible in the heats and just got better through the semifinal and obviously the final um and narrowly missing the world record in that so yeah that's uh something that um that i'm extremely proud of and i don't think anyone had won the 100 freestyle whether it be long course short course i think before or since john devitt so we're talking like 30 years yep. at that point yeah so in any hundred freestyle so yeah it was uh, i was obviously an achievement i'm very proud of
0: 2004 olympics in athens yeah
1: horrible um, I was in the peak of being seriously ill with Epstein-Barr virus, yeah. which is a chronic, t- very similar to a chronic fatigue. Um, and then it was just, I, I hadn't been necessarily diagnosed without it then, it was not long after. Um, and it was at the peak of it, and I just felt as though I, the mind was willing, but the body just could not go with me. And that was a year, not long, I cracked 49 seconds a few months um, before um, those Olympics. And thought that I was a real medal chance. And then for the last five months with my prep, I just went downhill yeah. and just, yeah. So it was, yeah. And it took me a long time to get over that.
0: Well, it must've been hard too. As you said, your your brain was there and you're ready yeah. to go and just your body wasn't holding well, the, up.
1: The, the hard part was that I was swimming that well. And I'm not a believer that you should have, could have, would have. But, you know, if my form had continued late 2003 to mid 2004, it was a real medal chance in that 100. Yeah. Um, you know, I went in with a 48.8. And back then that's very competitive 48-3 medal, 48-5 medal, so not that I see it as an opportunity missed, but it was actually a really hard learning curve, and it knocked me, knocked me for quite a while.
0: Yeah, what about 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne?
1: Hard, because I was just coming back from what I spoke about, it took me yeah. a, a few years um, to really dust off that um, that virus that I had, and it did prolong a little bit, yep. but I used 2006 and six and seven to as a building years to 2008.
0: Yeah, so we touched on that now, 2008, the Olympics, Beijing.
1: Yeah, awesome. Trying um, to put on a great show, probably second only to Sydney that I experienced. Yeah, um, Raced pretty well in the 4x1, we came third. And the 50 freestyle for me went in ranked at like 22 or 23rd in the world and came out fourth at that meet. And for me, coming fourth was like winning a gold medal. And it was just an honour to be in Olympic final, uh, racing the best of the best of my era, which, you know, Caesar Cielo and Eamon, um, you had Alan Bernard you had the big names Roland Schumann yep. who I'm yep. pretty good mates with so yeah for me to rub shoulders with those guys was yeah it was something I'll never forget
0: mate not long after the 2004 Olympics as we've just said it you um, contracted that virus and you're taking I think it was a year out of the pool uh, it must have been hard being away from what you loved
1: yeah it was but at the same time I knew that I needed time away not only for physically but mentally because as I said before it really knocked me yep. I didn't know if I wanted to swim again Um, when something's sort of beyond your control a little bit and you really want it and you just can't do it you need to change your mindset so yeah as you mentioned before I took some uh, significant time out of the pool uh, to help with my health and also to you know employing a specialist to help me to get my um, my head right again and then uh, just taking it easy and just using um, my comeback from that point just as building blocks to get through but I always thought my best swim was always in front of me. Yeah. So I didn't want to finish on that point because I didn't want to have a great 2000 and a rubbish 2004. So that's why I put all the eggs in my basket to get going again. And I knew I was going to be an older athlete at that time. Um, I was 29 in Beijing. So I knew that I still had something to contribute, not necessarily to the team, but to myself.
0: Yeah. Was that a tough decision to make to come back?
1: When I made the decision- Knowing the
0: work you had to do, obviously, sorry. <clears throat>
1: Um, no, when I made the decision, I was going, yep. it wasn't sort of, oh, I might, or I might not, because I believe if you're ever like that with anything in life, just don't, don't do it yep. until you, you hundred percent know that that's exactly what you want to do. So no, I had made my mind up and I knew that's exactly where I wanted to go. And, um, you know, looking back on my career, I'm glad I made that choice.
0: Definitely. We'll touch on now, um, 2009 at a meet in Canberra at the AOS, you break the Australian record for the men's. 50 meter freestyle, which I mentioned before, still stands today. How nice was it to get that record and be the fastest man in Australia?
1: Yeah, it was. It was great. It was very satisfying. Um, off the back of 2008, I had a little bit of break. I was in real estate, and I thought, well, I have enough time to continue to train just for the 50 free. Now I was 30 year old, um, and so that's what I decided to do. And I missed the 2019. I didn't really want to go. Um, I just wanted to have some time off from international competition. And then midway through 09, I was racing short course and just dropping time, dropping time, dropping time, cracking 21 seconds, short course 50, which back then was pretty handy. And so I went to Canberra with no real expectations and I was competing and I knew I was swimming well. And Andrew Lauderstein threw me the jacket suit. He said, everyone else has had to go because they wore it in the 2009 Worlds where we all know what happened there. And he said, "Have a go. Everyone else has had a go, but you. Who knows what you might do?" And I went, "No, no, no. no. And I was really against it." And then I went, "Bugger it," because there's less is ranked above me, yeah. and I'm not going to have this. So I had a had a go in it. <laughs> yeah. Went 21-2 in the heat and then 21-1 in the final. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, it's something again. Like I said about the O2 World Short Course victory, I'm very proud of it. I don't believe the suit should have ever come in, yeah. but you know, level playing field. Um, yeah, and it's still standing. Some of the boys are getting pretty close, like. Um, uh, since that time Maggie's got pretty close Cam's got a little uh, fairly close um, and then you've got some of the boys overseas who are swimming extremely fast yeah. so yeah it's, it's standing the test of time Mate
0: 2010 Commonwealth Games in Delhi you went in uh, with some pretty good form and unfortunately false start in the semi-final of the 50 and you're disqualified talk to me about the emotions after something like that happens
1: it's quite funny because my coach, team coach, Glenn Baker, actually, um, we talk about it now and we've made a few teams together as coaches, joke about it now that he's he said that when he saw me false start and got out of the pool, I thought I might just give him the afternoon off, I might go near him. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah oh, look, I, I took it out on a toilet door in India and you can imagine it just went flying off the hinges. <laughs> yeah. um, really disappointed in myself because that's on me. I made a, a silly mistake there and I was swimming very, very well and very fast and that was going to be my swung song. I, I believed that I could have done something pretty special then. Um, but it wasn't to be. And I learned quite a bit out of it. Um, and obviously, I, I used that experience in, in what I was doing in real estate then and obviously what I'm doing now. So, yeah, it was disappointing. But also, too, out of something that can be not the greatest experience can come something pretty good. So There's a bit
0: of noise around the start over there as well with the crowd and stuff. Did that play a part?
1: Oh, look. I mean... It wasn't dead like when you race in Australia or the US or Europe you could hear a pin drop getting ready especially for the men's events because it's almost like men on the track you know everyone sort of loves to watch the men splash and dash look I can't remember exactly now but you know it was my mistake yeah so and I wore that right as soon as I got out and I was interviewed by Channel 10 I knew that it was my mistake
0: fair enough Uh, now I've saved the last one to the uh, to the end the best one sorry to the end uh, the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Now, before I get to uh, the race, you are one of only a select group that have gotten to experience a home Olympics. Uh, not many have had that. They've got the Commonwealth Games now, but the Olympics is is the big show, that's for sure. What was the experience like?
1: Yeah, look, as you can tell by my delay in answering that question, <laughs> the words that I have in my arsenal, my vocabulary, can't really describe it. It was it was something, for me, it was almost like out of a fairy tale. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, again, like Kay, I'll go to the village atmosphere, but um, this time around, you have the Americans and you have the Japanese and you have the best of the best there. I remember jumping on the bus, going from one end of the, other, of the village to the other, and this little dark bald guy was sitting next to me and had a little moustache, and I thought it might have been him, but I wasn't sure, but it was Maurice Green, who yep. was the fastest man on the track at that time, and that blew me away, and um you know that's the first time i really got to experience the pinnacle of sport and that obviously was and um the village was unbelievable um the facilities were unbelievable um it was probably a good thing we got to race trials in our olympic pool because when you walked into the pool it was still a bit eerie going oh my god i'm here but at least you'd had um, experienced that facility once before um so yeah it was uh, up until the race it was just you had to really watch yourself because it was just an awe of all the other athletes and everything else that was going on you can get caught up yeah obviously the food too was so much better than KL it was great um so the build-up was was pretty good and then um yeah we were in Melbourne at the time then came into the village and yeah everything else about that about Sydney Olympics was fantastic
0: now, leading into the Olympics, there was a lot of talk around about the Americans. They'd never been beaten at Olympic level in the 4x1 uh, freestyle relay. And they had uh, a pretty impressive team again with Anthony Irvin, Neil Walker, Jason Lezak and Gary Hall Jr. Now, Gary Hall Jr. was known for being a little bit out there. And when he was asked in an interview before the race what he thought your chances were of winning, he said, uh, we are going to smash the Aussies like guitars. Before I even get to the race, was there much said between the team and you boys about that comment
1: before the race? One thing I like about Gary is Gary's a character. And um, I'm really, looking back, really thankful that he, he made that comment because yep. it put so much interest uh, to the event. Um, we knew what he had said and we, uh, as a team, as a male team back then, got all the guys together and we just spoke about what we were there to do. The expectations that we have in ourselves, you know, our own individual plan and things like that. And I actually stood up and I said, "Well, here, here's my first Olympics. The four by ones my only event because I finished both third in the 50 and the 15 and 100 freestyle. and I take top two yep. uh, individually." And I said to the group, "I said, I'm here at the Olympics and I'm here to win a gold medal. Um, I don't care who you're racing." And we knew the Yanks were fast, and you know they had plenty of experience and they're fast on paper, significantly quicker than us. But um, anything can happen on the day, and and we believed in that. And uh, as a male team, I really believed in that. So we took on board what he said, but we just used it as extra motivation to, to swim better for ourselves.
0: Now, rather than me go through the race, you were there, you were in it, talk me through the 4x1 freestyle relay at the 2000 Sydney Olympics.
1: Well, there was a bit of a process before that for me. I mean, I had to swim in the heats. Yep. Um, I finished third at trials and Thorpe finished fourth. However, they guaranteed Thorpe the spot for the anchor and I was swimming for my position. And so there was myself, Adam Pine, and Toddie Pearce, and then we were swimming for the third uh, or the fourth position, swimming third leg. And uh, I think I beat Piney by one of a second in the heats. And hadn't swum that great. I felt rubbish. And then Don Tell, thankfully, went with me. Yeah. Um, not Piney. And so I was fortunate there. And then the build-up that day, I mean, the four of us had lunch together, myself, Fidler, Clemmy and uh, Thorpey. We just spoke about what we wanted to do, and we believed in each other. And, yeah. When we got to um, the race, I mean, Thorpey was late because he had his 400 earlier and his uh, suited ripped trying to get it on. Yep. So we had to try get his wetsuit back on. Um, and there was only three of us that walked down on pool deck and Thorpey joined us about two or three minutes later, just as they were announcing the Australian team. So there's so much going on. And anyway, um, they blow the whistle. The crowd of 18,000 strong goes nuts. And in Homebush it's like a bit of an amphitheater. The noise just echoed and... Then the gun goes and Clemmie's taken off and turned in under 23 seconds, which was unheard of at that time. Yeah. Then came home and broke the world record and Fides was very strong and starts to really get on top of Neil Walker the last 20 metres. And I was standing on the block and I'd never been that nervous in terms of where my legs, my knees were going and my hands were going and pins and needles. Yeah. And the noise, because Fides is in front, you couldn't even hear yourself think and talk to yourself. And then it was my turn. And then as soon as I hit the water... I knew the Americans and we knew the Americans were gonna go out hard, so I just stuck to my process and it just clicked. So and I knew that I wasn't as fast as Jason I off the gun at that time. So he took off really, really hard and I let him go and then the second fifty I really worked hard and just finished in touch in front of him to let Thorpey and then the rest is a blur. Thorpey came home all over Gary Hall. Yeah. Um that last thirty metres and we were watching him willing him on and as Thorpey hit the wall we looked up and then Clemmy and fired, hands are gone in the air, and then you could it was like a It was like a a moment in time there where everything just sort of slowed right down and then all of a sudden it just came back to the moment in time where the the noise just went crazy. We just went nuts. Um, And my ears were stinging. That's how loud it was in there. And, um, yeah, it was something. I mean, there's that many looks on um, YouTube now and I think half of them are from me. Well, I (laughs) was another one last night. I watched it. It is one of my favourite races. I watched it again last night
0: and... um, Yeah, as you said, just the finishes. Definitely one thing, if you do go back and anyone watches it, you'll notice a very big difference in that last 20 metres of the Australian swimmers and the Americans of of all of you boys just charging over the top. Yeah. Um, now, you got the gold, you got the world record, but uh, how good was it to be able to play the air guitar?
1: Yeah, it was. It was um, something that we sort of, I'm not sure exactly who thought it We've all, all four of us acclaimed it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> but um, it was done in good humor and good taste, and I think that's what gave our relay real personality. Yeah. Something that I believe that relays have lacked today. But Gary Hall was such a good sport about it, came up to us, gave us a high five on the back. And but Gary Hall was in '96 a legend, like a guy I used to love watch racing because he was racing Alexander Popov, another legend at the time. Yeah. And I'm like, I beat that guy, and it shook his hand. And over the next 18 months, he was back here racing in Australia, and we became pretty good mates. Yeah, uh, I became really good friends with Jason Lezak over the next eight years of our swimming career. And yeah, it was it was really it was done in good humour. It was done at the right time, and it was really well accepted by Gary Hall. He said, "Well done, guys." You know, so. Yeah, and they're, the Americans, as much as they um, bravado and, you know, they're loud, all four of those guys are awesome, awesome guys. Yep. Yeah, really like them. So, yeah, no, it was a great, great experience. But without Gary Hall, though, yeah. saying what he said, yeah, yeah, the significance of the event still would have been there, but not as high. Yeah, yeah. So. I
0: agree. I agree. Uh, mate, talk to me about the transition between um, coaching and swimming.
1: Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I started here at Somerset in 2012 when I got out of real estate and I retired from swimming February 2012. And uh, my family and I, we moved back to the Gold Coast here and there was an opportunity. So I didn't know what I wanted to do with my coaching. There was no real sort of goal in mind. I had other things that I wanted to do, which I am doing out of the pool. And so with that, um, it sort of just progressed as age group and then taking kids or getting them to age national level and beyond a little bit. Then Jimmy, James Roberts, moves back from Canberra in 2015. And we have a meeting and we try to sort him out with a coach because Jimmy was a, a junior athlete as I was finishing off my career before he moved to the AIS. yeah He had a double shoulder rig, kind of goes, I'm moving back. So we couldn't agree on a coach for him we couldn't find one suitable for him at that time um, uh, and their programs. And so he sort of looked at me and I looked at him and I went, No way, I don't <laughs> want to get into that side of things. Yeah. So anyway, um, Jimmy is like a brother to me, so I decided to help him out. So he swam extremely well um, and made it to Rio. And we always said, after 2016, no matter what happens, whether you make the team or not, we're going to reassess. And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, two and a bit years later, we haven't reassessed yeah. and we're still here. <laughs> so yeah, look, I enjoy it. I do enjoy it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Um, I think my my experience as an athlete and as a as a male sprinter holds up for those guys who want to... Um, go into those events um, I make no bones about it you know I'm a sprint freestyle coach I'm not middle distance I'm not um, you know males and females at that level do have to work a little bit differently so I make no bones about it where I sit and, yeah. I, and I'm really happy with what I've achieved thus far because I never thought I would do it and um, who knows what the future holds but the transition was easy because I was freshly retired everything that I had been doing was fresh I can implement it here yeah um, in terms of longevity, I don't know, but, um, I have a good core group here at the moment from the high performance perspective. And also I work with kids who swim at the national age level. We're not a big club, but where I think we better have our weight and I've, I've really enjoyed it.
0: How's, uh, Ash Callis, the coach different from Ash Callis, the swimmer?
1: Oh, I, I, yeah, vastly. <laughs> Uh, my nickname when I was competing was Angry Ash yep. uh, because I was aggressive. <laughs> yeah. um, Robbie Van Der Zandel could tell you a couple of stories Who's who uh, was on a few teams with me. Now, um, obviously getting a little bit older too, probably had to mellow a little bit. Yeah. Um, and you're dealing with athletes who are different mindset now and culturally things are a lot different. So um, a little bit more calm, although I like to have a little bit more fun, a bit more relaxed, not so straight up and down you have to do this. I work um, a bit more... Uh, with a bit more flexibility and I have the athletes, I have a, have a high performance perspective, have a bit more say, we communicate a bit more. Yep. Um, whereas when I was going around, it was all, what the coaches want and that's it. Um, so uh, with that, you get the athlete buy-in and we, I believe that we're achieving quite well. So yeah, I'm quite happy with where we're at.
0: Talk about the athletes. we talk talked about James Roberts there. If I was to ask James what you're like as a coach, what would he say? <laughs>
1: Um, he would say very different yep. um, because he's come from um, John Fowley in Canberra. Uh, I think he would say very different. Uh, different approach, relaxed approach. Um, only, I only become intense when I need to. Um, but also with Jimmy, Jimmy's now an older athlete too, so you've got to allow them to have a little bit of a say. So I'd say that he would say, like, coach with flexibility, listens. Yep. And actually care. I actually care about the athlete. I don't have a lot of athletes in the performance squad but I actually care about not only what they do in the pool out of the pool what their social life looks like so you can better understand where they're at when they come in yep. for a session so um, you know there can be emotional animals too so you've got to just be aware of that.
0: Mate uh, last year before the Queensland State Champs you are asked about James Magnusson and you didn't miss him um, <laughs> you said I don't know why people continue to talk about Maggie he hasn't done anything in four years was that just uh, more you advocating for your own swimmer James Roberts who um, had beaten him uh, trials then uh, didn't get the same
1: attention from the media? Look I think I believe that story was taken out of context. There's a few other bits and pieces that I actually said that wasn't included in that article and I went and spoke to um, James regarding that and yep. we have a, an understanding there but what I, what the articles are in reference to was the men's 4 by one which I'm very passionate about and I believe has underperformed in the last decade. And so there were you mentioning the usual suspects um, McAvoy, Magnuson and um Chalmers which you know rightly so I mean they've achieved a lot um but we also had some other young guns coming through like Cartwright and like Jimmy Roberts has been you know a vital member of that group for such a long time and there was a, I think there was another name that I might have mentioned so but uh, I did say um you know that why are we mentioning names from the past when there's young guns coming through give them a go give them yeah. a give them a chance and, and inspire them and give them a bit of a kick up the backside to get them moving and so that article uh was taken out of context but we have spoken i went up to him and said hey james look you've probably seen the the paper look it was taken out of context um this is what i actually said and so we shook hands and um yeah there's an understanding
0: Mate, two things i liked about it one was it did create a little bit of conversation around the pool deck again um, which i think does at times lack in swimming Um, but two, as you said there, one of the reasons why we started this podcast was just to give, um, swimmers outside of that, um, main group of people, um, a bit more of a go and a bit more of a, a chance to promote themselves and get their names out there as well. So I I liked it for those two reasons.
1: (laughs) No, no, well that's, that's important. I mean, you know, swimming is not an easy sport and, um, from a, um, corporate background, there's not as much as there was in, in my day. So You know there's there's guys toiling out there that you know that aren't you know they don't do it they do it for the love of the sport but also too you know they give up and sacrifice so much so when you're uh, when there's an opportunity for younger and -and up-and-coming names to kick them on into our sport why not yeah you know we're up against other sports too which you know like soccer and that are ever-growing and drawing talent and so you know we need to be more proactive with those sort of things in my opinion
0: Mate, Thorpe came out recently and said uh, he thinks we should scrap medal predictions going into um, games. He says there's too much pressure on our athletes, immense pressure in his words. Um, do you think uh, that's something we should be looking at?
1: Well, look, when Thorpey says something of that nature, I think we need to listen. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's no secret that Thorpe is one of the best athletes from an Olympic perspective, not only in swimming, but a strange sport ever and he had the weight of a strain on his shoulders every time he competed so i think he's very qualified to, to say what he's what he's saying there and you know to an extent i agree with him um you know there's nothing worse than going in and competing and you pull up short and then it's a failure but in some cases it's not a fail if you don't win a goal or a, or a medal you know an athlete might have swum out of their skin to go from like i did in in 4 oh sorry 08 you go know, from 22nd to 4th. Yeah. You know, that's a major success. Yeah. But because it's not a medal, why is it a failure? Yeah. So I think that um, there is merit in you know, taking medal predictions away. And it's just, I mean, the Olympics is the pinnacle. It's hard enough to get there. Then let alone try to take the next step, worrying about what you know, our expectations are at home. You know? And th- the thing is, is that in, in our sport and swimming, there's a lot more depth around the world now. So the medals are spread across a lot more countries now, rather than just US, Australia, and Great Britain or Japan. So sorry, I was banging the table. There. <laughs> <It's all laughs> but right. um, but yeah, like yeah, like Thorpe says something like that. I think we need to listen. Yep. Um, still, he's still in touch with the athletes as well. So and uh, like the guy, we don't need to doubt him. His record speaks for himself for itself.
0: Mate, recently, Swimming Australia changed the uh, age group for age group nationals i think it's now 14 years for for the boys um what
1: do you think of those changes look 50 50 to be real i understand what they're trying to achieve but also to you know one of the reasons is they're trying to keep the athletes in the sport longer but you just have to look at some of the greatest swimmers we've ever had you know they've gone all the way through the process you know cole charles for example you know one of the latest ones um he was fortunate enough that he has this talent where You know, it didn't probably have to work quite as hard as some of the younger kids working through, but you've got to remember to keep kids in the sport longer, but kids don't want to stay in the sport longer if they can't achieve what they want to achieve for whatever reason that may be, you know. And so, you know, with later on in life when they're in grade 11 and 12 of school, there's other pressures that they have to deal with. So I don't necessarily think that it's going to be a massive benefit, but I guess, look, I'm always open um, to try new things and it'll be interesting to see how it works or doesn't work over time.
0: Mate, Pampak's trials are now just a week away. How's uh, Jimmy tracking for that?
1: Yeah, look, he's had typical Jimmy, and anyone who's listening to this um, on the team will understand James Roberts is a different athlete. Um, he has had injury and illness to deal with since Com Games. Yep. Um, but just in the last week, he seemed to have started to come good. So, look, um, he's an unbelievable talent. Um, you talk to many people around Pudec, who knows the sport, and... He has this incredible feel for the water which you just can't coach. So like Jimmy did in 2016 into the Rio trials, he can do anything. So um, if he's in the race, um, you you just don't know what can happen. He's got a good couple of training mates here as well. Luke Percy, who was the junior world champion in the 50 freestyle. um, He's coming on really, really well. Blake Jones has been going really well. And I've got a young up and coming kid who just medaled at age nationals in there as well. So he's got a couple of good guys nipping at his heels here locally. In his own program so well, as i said jimmy's jimmy's there and he's and he's and he's not sick he's got a chance
0: is it a little bit harder for him having to make the team again as opposed to some of the other athletes who uh, are guaranteed their spot from times they've previously posted
1: look we got that out of the way early um, i don't agree with pre-selection um, i've made that pretty clear with the powers that be i think everyone needs especially leading into um, 2020 japan which i believe is going to be one of our hardest olympics the race practice and the pressure of the race practice but we spoke about, you know, pre-selection other athletes earlier on to get that out of the way. And it hasn't been anything that we've spoken about previ- um, since that. So, yeah. yeah, it's not a thing.
0: What's life like for you away from the pool?
1: Well, one thing I like to do, I mean, I don't live far from the beach down here on the Gold Coast and Burley. So I obviously like to get to the beach a little bit. I have a daughter who's now five, So I love to spend some time with her playing Barbies and Angry Dragons yeah. and Happy Dragons and <laughs> anyone who knows me you know angry ash on all fours roaring like a dragon yeah. and, and things like that things you do for your kids and you yeah, know she's awesome um, but yeah I like to spend time with her and then just just chill, just chill out you know this time of the year winter obviously I get to the beach a lot um, summer get the jet ski out and have a blast um, you know catch up a little bit of sleep um, have a business outside of this that consumes a bit of my time as well so um, yeah I just just like to chill out
0: one of the reasons i wanted to start this podcast about swimming is because i love the sport and i feel like uh, over time the since the glory days it's become a little bit less and less relevant to the greater public what do you think we could be doing to try and get back to those glory days that you were at where the stands were full
1: yeah look i believe we've lost the character i mean i speak about my era i mean you had um jeff hugel who's obviously very well loved amongst the public and he was just a nice guy and a character we had Grand Hacker, we had Susie O'Neill, we had, you know, just those household names. And back then, you've got to remember too, there was no social media. Um, so which probably uh, takes, takes it away a little bit. I mean, I see kids now basing their popularity on how many Instagram followers they have. And I don't believe that's a real thing, a real guide. So what can we do? Um, I think just get behind our athletes a lot more, um, expose them a little bit more and, and how how we can. And you're doing a great job by doing your podcasts. Um you know it's just a different world, and if we can allow the athletes to be themselves without having to tone them down at all, which you know I, I think happens in one or two occasions because they're too busy about their social media following, yeah. um, allow them to speak their mind, um, as well, say what they want to say, whether it creates interest or not, it yeah. doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, just allow them. like Kyle Chalmers, a great character, really chill, easygoing, really likable sort of a guy, and you know, we just need those sort of characters back in the sport but again that's his personality so we can't change personalities but just expose them and allow them to be themselves more
0: Mate, i like to uh finish our chats with a little less serious questions so uh i'll uh, rattle a few off here we'll see how we go describe your life using a movie title
1: Uh, fast and furious Furious. good one
0: (laughs) good one um what do you think about when you're alone in the car
1: this time of the year, my, my seat warmers. <laughs>
0: you're lucky you've got them. Some guys yeah. don't have them.
1: Yeah, yeah you're right.
0: Mate, uh, how do you rate your memory? Terrible. Terrible. We've got a memory test here, actually, so we'll go through yeah. this now. <laughs> actually, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> fail, um, fail. <laughs> a, uh, if you're on death row, what's your last meal? Oh,
1: I, I, um, look, there's, I love a steak, but I also love chicken parmesan.
0: It's true, you can't go past the good oh, chicken palmy. At chicken the pub. palmy.
1: And they're, they're hard to find this day and age. So I love a chicken palmy.
0: And uh, finally, mate, you're stuck in a large elevator. I say large because you're yeah, going to invite three other people to be stuck in there with you. Who do you invite?
1: Well, first and foremost, I, I can't deny Margot Robbie. Yep. Um, Margot Robbie's a big thing for me. So could I just have three Margot Robbies? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, you can't. No, you Two can't. Days, All right. No.
1: Well,. A lot of people say I look like Jason Statham. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the monk out of one of his movies. And then also, um, because she, I think she'd be a cracker and um, hilarious, um, I, like, I don't know. I'm sort of tossing up here, but I'll go with Oprah Winfrey. Oprah, she something, does different. The great stories. something different. Something yeah, different. You'd be interviewed yeah, while yeah, you're in there yeah, as well. Yeah, something different. So with Margot Robbie sitting on my lap and being interviewed by um, Oprah Winfrey yeah. and watching. Um, Jason Statham do his karate Yeah, he'd just be flipping around the elevator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's (laughs) an interesting bunch, (laughs) eh? Exactly. I
0: wouldn't have picked those, so well done. Um, Mate, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the show and have a chat. Um, You've been very open and honest, and it's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to interview you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the chat as well. And we look forward to catching up again sometime in the future. But until then, uh, thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swimming podcast.
1: No, awesome. Thank you for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, onwards and upwards for PANPAC trials.
0: Thank you very much. Today's great episode is proudly brought to you by Pro Swim Workouts. For some great swimming programs, training ideas, please visit the website at proswimworkouts.com. Now, the legends just keep on coming this week as tomorrow we bring you another episode. Yes, that means EP18 is dropping tomorrow, so you do not have to wait any longer. And it features another swimming Australian legend and Olympic medalist in Andrew Lauderstein. Now, you don't have to wind the calendars back for this chat. I spoke to Andrew last week over the phone from his office at the Engine Swimwear Company down in Melbourne. And a fantastic chat about his career that you will not want to miss. Now, until then, though, please make sure you're staying up today with all the episodes as we have so many more coming your way, and it's bye for now. we yeah.